joke a lot, but I do really love my brother-in-law. Sure, sure a blessing to have them and see what God's done uh, in his life. And I know he'll probably give you a little bit of that history of what's happened and what God's called them to do and all that stuff. But to see where God's brought him from to where he is today, man, what a blessing uh, to be able to see that. And I'm sure uh, looking forward to what the Lord has for us tonight. So, Brother Rex, you come and preach for us this evening. I have a message out of Mark chapter 8. If you want to go there, I will give you a little bit of history here. You know, God does chastise his children, and I am living proof of that. God was chastising my wife when he brought me into her life. <laughs> oh, kidding aside. I've, I was actually born and raised as a Catholic. I graduated from a Catholic high school in 1990. That will tell you a little bit about my age if the gray hair doesn't. But uh, I was, uh, when I graduated from high school, I said I'd never go back to a Catholic school, and I pretty much, or a Catholic church, and I pretty much didn't. I think I went to two Christmas services, maybe one Easter, and uh, some of their funerals for some uh, family members. But in uh, 2004, God began to work on my heart a little bit in, in uh, August that year, just to sort of set my eyes on some priorities. He was preparing me for some things. And then uh, November 18, 2004, was the night I got saved. It was on a Thursday night at my house reading my Bible. In uh, 2007, my wife and I got engaged, and we got married the same year. And then uh, 2008, I, I uh, uh, elected to, uh, my brother-in-law, Seth, had asked me to go to the prison ministry with him. And I went to the prison ministry, and it was during that time God called me to preach while sitting in the prison ministry. It, you just never know. You just need to get involved and get involved in the things in church. You know, it was always told to me. I asked some preachers very early on after I had knew that God had called me to preach. I said, how do I know what God's will is for my life? And they said, you got to be doing God's will to know what God's will is. And you say, well, what is God's will for us? Well, how about pray, read your Bible, be faithful to church services, how about soul winning? Soul winning is something that a lot of people think it's for their pastor and for staff or people like that. But in Matthew chapter 28, God, God commanded all of us to go and, and to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I promise you, if you'll just be faithful in those four areas of your life, you'll find out God will, God will use you in other magnitudes. Why? Because God many times is just looking for somebody just to be obedient to the little things before he'll give you the... The other things, you know, baptism is very important. I know uh, baptism isn't something that's emphasized as of for salvation, but it is a first sign of obedience. And if you haven't been baptized, I challenge you to get baptized. Uh, God began to open up the doors after I got saved. I struggled with that for a little while. Um, I, uh, I, I was raised Catholic, so I was baptized as an infant, and I didn't see the importance of it. But it wasn't until after baptism that God began to open up those doors for me and use me in other ways. And, you know, we just need to be, be obedient in the little things. But in 2009, I went on a hunting trip, and uh, while I was sitting in a tree stand re reading a little New Testament uh, Bible, God began to work on my heart about teaching young men and growing young men. And, and if we look around society today, I mean, uh, it, it almost makes you want to vomit when you look at how the tides have turned so much. Uh, the women leave the house at 7 o'clock in the morning. 
they go out, they're the breadwinners in the house, and you know, here comes dad and his flip-flops and the diaper bag taking the kids to school and doing these things. And you say, well, what's wrong with that? That's not how God intended it. God didn't intend for us to be that way. God, you know, if you think about it, go back to Genesis. And in Genesis, uh, when God created man, he created man out of what? The, the dust, out of the earth. He created him to work the earth, to work, to be the provider. But he created the woman out of the man for the man and that the the wife is to be the the take care of the home and to take care of the children and love them and you know the we, we today we have so many effeminate young men and most of them don't know much more than a video game if you ask them how to hunt how to fish and how to throw a ball many of them can't physically do it because they don't know they've never physically done it besides this and, you know, uh, they, they got real strong thumbs, but, you know, there's, and you might not think that video games is an epidemic in our country, but video games is definitely an epidemic in this country. There's tons of marriages that are struggling. These 20-year-old men stay up all night, play video games, don't go to church in the morning. Mom's got to take the kids to church. Well, you know, the statistics of when a dad takes the kids to church is 93% of the kids will turn out for the Lord and the family will continue to go for the Lord if the dad is the spiritual leader in the home. That's important. It drops down into the 40% if the wife is the one that takes the kids to church on them turning out. You say, why is that? Because, you know, no matter how we look at it, God commanded us as men to be the spiritual leaders. And the, the, the point behind the camp is... Uh, to teach young men to be leaders, to, to, to be able to get out there. And, 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 you know, we teach them hunting things and fishing things. And uh, from basics, they, they get the opportunity to shoot guns and, and bows. And Danny teaches them uh, the gun safety. And uh, we teach them trapping. And you say, well, what's all that importance? You know what? It's just getting them away from the things of the world and just allowing them to learn the things that God created and about that. We get them out in the woods. We teach them some things. They get the opportunity to fish, to shoot, to do all those things. And we preach to them three times a day. And that's the most important thing that we have is get them away from the world. Get them away from electronics. And some of them, they bring them and they want to... It looks like you gut shot them when you tell them the phone has to go away. It gets turned in. They're like... Call your mom, tell her you'll be okay. You know, we're get, if something happens to you, we'll let her know. But it's all good. But the, the camp, God has used the camp. And, you know, it, it's just like when uh, God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he struggled with it because he wasn't fluent in speech. I had never attended a, a camp, a church camp in my life. And when God started to lay it on my heart, I'm like, Lord, I've never been to camp. I don't know how to do this. But, you know... I, there's a there, uh, evangelist Denny Coral has a shooters expo every year. That one year I just decided I was going to help him. He needed a hand. And that shooters expo has really helped me with the development of the camp. The camp, I, I hope that one day the vision that God has given me for it is that God will provide us a piece of property where we can build the camp, where we can do the camp all summer long. And uh, not only just outdoorsman camp, but Bring some young ladies in and teach them how and have 
ladies and pastors' wives, come in and teach them how to be ladies. Teach them how to sew, how to cook. It's amazing how many young ladies don't know how to do uh, household things anymore. Can't sew a button on a shirt. And, but not only do that, but uh, I want to I wanna have what would be called a work week where I bring the, the young men in, some, some teen boys, and teach them some work ethic. It's something that's missing in this country. And listen, that's our, that's our future of our church. And we need strong young men to lead our churches and our homes. And uh, we, need, we need good, godly young ladies willing to support and to, to live in their home and in their way in a way that God would want them. That's the most important thing that we all have to understand. It's not about, it's not about a Baptist way. It's about God's way. And we just want to get back to that way to doing those things. But that's the vision of the camp. And God has blessed it in three years. It's tripled. We've seen uh, uh, Danny, as a matter of fact, the one night Danny preached, there was four young men got saved. Since then, we've seen a few other uh, men get saved. We've seen some men get called to preach. And the most important thing is, is we're trying to get those young men to build a relationship with God. That's the most important thing. But you keep that in prayer as we move forward. We've had some challenges in the last year. We lost the property, but God had it in plan. We lost a five-acre piece of property, and God provided us with a 13-acre piece of property. And there was a, a Christian man that owned the property we were using, and now we got a, a Baptist preacher that has provided this other property. And we're excited to see what God's going to do this year. It'll be June 8th through the 12th, so if you would, the most important thing you can do is keep that in prayer. The year that we saw God really work in that, we had a church that every, every time of every service and every day of the camp, there was people fasting for it. There was, that's something that's missing in our churches today is showing God the importance of fasting and prayer for some things. We could see God do some great and mighty things. But tonight I'm going to speak to you out of Mark chapter 8. God's laid this on my heart to talk to you about the home tonight. The home is a very important thing. I'm going to read you a couple things here before we get into the message. This is called Big Game Hunter. Against his better judgment, the Big Game Hunter is talked into taking both his wife and uh, and his mother-in-law along on one of his hunting expeditions. It it does not go well. The mother-in-law is, if anything, harder to get along with uh, in the wild than she was in the city. And to make matters worse, she won't even abide by the simple camp rules designed to keep the safari safe. One night after dinner, the hunter's wife realizes her mother is missing. Panicked, she rushes to her husband and begs him to institute a search. He sighs and together they set out. But before they've gone far, they hear a throaty growl. Soon they come upon a small clearing in which the mother-in-law stands, backed up against a thick, seemingly uh, impenetrable jungle brush and facing a huge male lion. The wife whispers urgently, What are you going to do? Nothing, whatever, responds her husband. The lion got himself into this mess. Now let him get himself out of it. Where is God? I'll read you a couple of these and then we'll get in. We'll break the ice here a little bit. Where is God? A couple had two little boys, ages 8 and 10. 
who were excessively mischievous. They were always getting into trouble, and their parents knew that if any mischief occurred in town, their sons were probably involved. The, uh, the boy's mother heard that there was a clergyman in town, and uh, he had been successful in disciplining his children. So she asked if he, would, uh, uh, if he would speak to her boys. The clergyman agreed, but he asked to see them individually. So the mother sent the eight-year-old first in the morning with the older boy to see the clergyman in the afternoon. The clergyman, a huge man with a booming voice, sat, uh, sat the younger boy down and asked him sternly, Where is God? The boy's mouth dropped open, but he made no response. Sitting there with his mouth open, wide-eyed, so the clergyman repeated the question in even a sterner tone. Where is God? Again, the boy made no attempt to answer, so the clergyman raised his voice even more and shook his finger at the boy's face and bellowed, Where is God? The boy screamed and bolted uh, from the room and ran directly home and dove into his closet, slamming the door behind him. And when his older brother found him in the closet, he asked, What happened? The younger brother, gasping for breath, replied, We are in big trouble this time, dude. God is missing, and they think we did it. <laughs> Just a little humor there to break the ice. Mark chapter 8. You know, <laughs> the, devil, the devil hates to see anything going on for God. He hates it. He hates it any time that the devil sees God trying to do something and working, the devil will attack. One of the biggest attacks on Christianity today, I believe, is in the home. Uh, if Satan can attack and get the home off course, he can destroy the church from within because a strong church is built with strong families. It's the families of the church that make a strong church. And when I say the home, the home could be a widow, a widow lady. That could be the home. The, the home could be just a husband and a wife. That could make up a home. The home could make up an entire family, a husband and wife and children, multiple children. But those homes, strong homes, will make up good, strong churches. And the devil knows this. And he knows that if he can attack the home and get the home off course, get the husband and the wife against each other, the children and the parents off course, he can do it. We see it so many times. We see it with teenagers brought up in church, raised right, brought up right, and all of a sudden they get just this, uh, this attitude and they want to go their own direction and they cause problems in the home. Many times we've seen faithful parents that quit being faithful to church. Why? Because they had a, 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 wayward, a wayward prodigal son or a daughter. And they left the home and it got them off course. And the devil knows this. There's many times that we've all seen where, uh, uh, where Satan has come through the front door of a house and he comes right through the front door and he comes through with, with, the, with the wicked music or the, the filthy entertainment or with alcohol or drugs. And we can see that and we know that it's just a blatant attack of the devil and we know this. And he knows this, but the devil's been at this a long time, uh, Pastor Dan, that he knows there's some homes that he's not coming through the front door with those things. He's just not going to do it because you're, not, you're strong enough and you're not going to allow him 
to come through the front door with the alcohol and with the drugs and the entertainment. And that's not, that's not an issue there. But let me remind you, he has been at this for a very long time. He's been at it. And he knows that there are certain homes, Brother Dan, that he's not coming through the front door. But he always looks for that avenue that he can get into that home and get that home off course. So if he can keep you from doing what God wants you to do, then he has accomplished what he wants to do. He can't, if you're saved, you're born again, he can't have you. But he doesn't want God to have you either fully, fully surrendered, fully given to God. And I want to speak to you tonight on a, on a subject called Satan's back door to the home. Satan's back door to the home. Matthew or Mark chapter 8, verse 31. I'm going to just read a couple verses. <clears throat> the Bible says in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, and of the chief priests and scribes, <clears throat> and be killed, and after three days rise again. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, or uh, let me back up, 32, and he spake this saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him, and with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, for this day. God, I thank you for this time, this privilege. God, I don't want to take it lightly. God, I... I, I know what a privilege it is to stand in front of your people. And God, tonight, Lord, they didn't come to hear from me, God, but they came to hear from you. God, I pray that you clear out my heart, my mind, and God, anything, Father, that would be of myself or be a distraction, God, from what you would have. But God, that you would fill me up tonight with your Holy Spirit's power and your wisdom, God. I pray that you would uh, allow me to have the knowledge of this uh, subject tonight, God, that you would speak through me as a vessel that is filled up with you. God, I pray that these dear people would have open hearts and minds to what you have for them tonight. God, I pray that you would help us, that we would take and receive the things that you have for us tonight. God, I pray that your presence would be felt here in a, in a, in a heavy, special way, God, that, Lord, tonight we may leave here better people for you, God, changed in a way that would be bring you praise, honor, and glory. But God, that we would take these things, just not hear them, but be a doer of them. God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord. If there be somebody in this building that is not truly born again, not saved, God, I pray that tonight would be the night they call upon you and get saved in Jesus' name. Amen. In this, in this portion of Scripture, we, we see the account that uh, Jesus begins to tell them that He's going to die and he's going to suffer and after three days he's going to rise again. And his disciples heard what Jesus was saying, but they didn't receive what he was saying. It's sort of like salvation, uh, Pastor Dan. We, people hear, hear many times and they believe in God, but they've never received God. They've never taken it. It's, it's just as a gift at Christmas time. We just went through Christmas and uh, uh, there was gifts under that tree and that gift might have your name on it that somebody purchased that gift for you. 
But if you never pick that gift up, you never take that gift, you never open it and receive that gift, it really never becomes your gift. It's just a gift that was purchased for you, just like salvation was purchased for you at the cross of Calvary. Jesus' blood was shed, he was buried, he rose again three days. The price and the penalty for your sins was bought and paid for, but until you receive Jesus Christ personally as your, your Savior, uh, that gift has never become yours. You've never received it. And the disciples here, they, were, they heard what Jesus was saying. I mean, they were just, just back before this, if we look there, Jesus asked them, he says in verse 29, and he saith unto them, but whom say that, whom say ye that I am? He had just asked the disciples. He said, you know, he's asking them about who the people say that he is. And they tell him some say Elias, others say uh, some of the prophets. And he says, but whom say ye that I am? And look, and Peter answereth and saith unto him, thou art the Christ. They, they knew who this was. They knew who they were walking with. But here, here we come to this portion of scripture and Jesus starts to tell them. And we come to this portion of scripture and it says, and Peter took him. And rebuked him. Now, now, I don't know about you, but when the Bible says here that Peter took him, I'm thinking that Peter took him physically and grabbed a hold of him and was like, no, Jesus, this isn't going to happen. He takes him in. I mean, you think about that. He took a hold of our Savior, of the Christ, of Jesus Christ, the, the promised Son of God. He takes a hold of him and rebukes him. I can't imagine this. But see, many of us do that too. When, when God commands us and He tells us of some things, we reject those things. We're rebuking God and saying, no, that's not what I'm going to do, Lord. See, God has a will for each and every one of us. There's a will for all of us to do, but then there's a will that God has for each and every one of us. And many times when we don't take the things that we hear, we're not receiving. You know, we can come to church week after week after week, service after service after service, and we hear the Word of God being preached. But there's many times, and I'm sure you've been in this a lot longer than me, people will come up to you, and the same thing that was just preached a week ago, they're struggling with. And you're like, brother, it was just preached in church a couple weeks ago. Your help was there. Your counseling was there. Yeah, I know how that all works. The thing about it is that you know what happened? We heard it, but we never received it. And that's what the disciples were doing here. And I find it amazing that if you look there with me, and, and it says, but when he had turned, when Jesus had turned. So here Peter has a hold of him, and Jesus turns, and he looks at his disciples and in the next statement he says to him, he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Now I want you to think about that. Just over a few chapters, when he addressed Judas, he addresses Judas as friend. Did you ever wonder why God, uh, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, would call Peter Satan, but call Judas friend? It's because Judas was allowing God's will to be fulfilled, that, the, that, he, would be, uh, that he would be forsaken, that he would be, uh, uh, that he would be turned on and given over. Uh, Judas was fulfilling what prophecy was there already, but, Saint, or, but Peter was trying to hinder the will of God from being done. It was God's will. When Jesus Christ was born of the virgin there on Christmas Day, as we celebrate now, when Christ was born in that manger, it was his will to come to earth, to live 
his uh, earthly life here, but to die on the cross and to be buried and three days rise again. We understand that was God's purpose. But look at what, look at what Jesus says here. He says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Basically, what Peter and the disciples wanted was they wanted, they wanted uh, Jesus to stay and to set up his earthly kingdom. They wanted him to rule and reign and set up his earthly kingdom. And that, that is a good thing, right, Brother Nick? That would be a great thing. And he's going to do that. Just so you know, he is coming back one day and he is going to set up that earthly kingdom and he is going to rule and reign. But this was not God's will for this time. It was not God's will for this time that we read about here. It was not time. It would have been a good thing, but it wasn't God's thing. And see, that's, that's Satan's back door to our home today. Is He wants to fill our homes with good things, but just not God's things. And I want to ask you four questions tonight, and we'll be done quickly here. I want to ask you four questions tonight, and I want you to ask yourself these things honestly. And I just want you to think about these things, because remember, if we have good, strong Christian homes, we'll have good, strong Christian churches. Do you understand that? So I want to ask you four questions tonight. Now, that word savor that God talks about there is to taste a sweet smell. Uh, the, uh, it normally refers to something acceptable to God. Now I want you to think about that. God said there that thou, he says to Peter, thou savorest the things of, uh, uh, not of God, but the things that be of men. I want to ask you four questions. Number one, do you have good activities in your home or God's activities in your home? Now I, I, we do the outdoorsman camp. We teach the boys hunting and we teach them fishing and we teach them uh, trapping, and we teach them all those good manly things, right? Can we get an amen? Anybody amen there? We teach them good, these are good things, but they're not necessarily God's things. God's things is the preaching, okay? So there's nothing wrong with teaching your son how to hunt or to fish or your daughter how to do some things or to teach them how to play volleyball or football or baseball. There's nothing wrong. They're good things. There's nothing wrong playing the Wii in my eyes. The Wii to me is fun. I love to play the Wii. But I'm, I'm, when my wife always says, make sure you wrap that thing around your wrist because you're going to throw that through the TV. Because when, when I'm golfing, I'm trying to hit that ball through the wall. Okay? I, every, she leaves when I, I play with the kids. There's no mercy. Listen, they're going to learn to win their own way. If they want to be dad, they better just get to that place where they can be dad. I mean, when I bowl, when I bowl, Pastor Colbert, I, I, I'm sore the next day from bowling with the Wii. Playing the Wii as a family is a good activity in a home, okay? But playing the Wii should never take place of going to church, okay? Now, remember, we're talking about good things in a home or God's things in a home, Okay? Uh, teaching your son how to play baseball. It's a good thing. It's good activity. It's, it's fun to throw a ball. There's nothing, as a young boy, throwing things. I mean, I loved to throw stones through windows when I was a kid. There was nothing like it. I know you might not find that funny, but either did my dad. 
But I enjoyed throwing things. I enjoyed hitting things. I enjoyed good things. Teach them how to play ball. But little leagues should never come before soul winning. Okay? See, now Pennsylvania is trying to pass Sunday hunting. And maybe you're not against Sunday hunting. I'm not against hunting on Sunday as long as you're not hunting where it's taken away from what you're supposed to be doing. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day approaching. That means when the doors of the church are open, you're to be here. You're a member of this church, you should be here when the church doors are open, okay? You say, oh, don't preach that. Listen, the crowd was a lot bigger this morning than it is tonight, so I'm going to preach that. Until the church is as full on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night is what it is on Sunday morning, we're going to continue to preach that. But those things, hunting, fishing, ball, volleyball, those things, those activities in the home should never take place of God's things. Okay? And let me, let me just take it one little step further. If the activity in the home contradicts God's word, dance, it shouldn't be an activity in the home. If it takes and it changes... And, and your son or daughter has to compromise the way, the way they dress to do it that would go against what God's standard for dress or activity is, it should not be happening. That's not a good activity. A good activity is something that teaches them discipline, organization. It teaches them teamwork. It teaches them those things. But it doesn't get away from still. You, you should never do something that's going to contradict what God's Word says. That makes it a good activity. Do you have good activities in the home or do you have God's activities in the home? What we emphasize on is what we will get. If We see it all the time. People, I just don't, I mean, this, this, this blew my mind. Like uh, in, in Altoona area, when you knock on doors, everybody's Catholic. They're going to heaven because they are Catholic. Okay? Well, yeah. When you're basing you're going to heaven on your religion, you have been false taught a, something that is not according to God's word. You go to heaven only through the blood of Jesus Christ, okay? So, but while we were in Illinois, this was amazing. We were out there this summer soul winning, and uh, I loved it this summer. I never got to go soul winning with my dad, but I got to go soul winning with my son this summer, and it was, it was precious to me. But more, so many people, brother, out there, they, they, I mean, they were just honest. I liked it. But they said, I just don't have time to go to church. We're just so busy with soccer, and we're just so busy with baseball, and we're just so busy, and I work so much. Okay, be careful of that. Be careful of that. It amazes me, the excuses that we'll come up with. But what we emphasize on, what we want to make time for, we will have time for that thing. Do you have good activities in home or God's activities in home? Make, make it a priority in your home to do God's things and not just good things. Secondly, do you have a good direction in your home or God's direction in your home? Are we doing all that God wants us to do in our home or are we just doing good things in the home? Listen, uh, the direction of the home should be set by the dad. Okay, If there's not a dad in the home, the mom ought to set the direction of the home. But if there's a dad in the home, the dad should set the direction in the home. That's a huge priority and a responsibility placed on our shoulders as dads that we, the direction of our home is going the right direction, okay? You say, what's the right direction? What 
what is the direction? Is your, are you leading your family more towards God's things or more just towards good things? Listen, when uh, I, I, I like to camp. Uh, I have not taken my family camping, but I love to camp. There's nothing to me uh, like cooking over an open fire. It's just that caveman instinct that comes out in me, and I love to cook. There's nothing. To, it doesn't matter what you cook over an open fire. It's better. It is. It's just better. I mean, I'll sit out there and singe the hairs off my face to cook over an open fire. I mean, hot dogs aren't fit to eat, but you cook them over an open fire, now hot dogs are delicious. (laughs) But what is your direction of your home? I mean, are you emphasizing, are you stressing on... Man, is your direction in your home is you just can't wait to go on vacation. You just can't wait to uh, uh, basketball starts up or you just can't wait to hunting starts up or, or is it more emphasized on God's things? Like, uh, man, Saturday's coming. This is going to be awesome. We're going to go as a family soul winning, okay? We're going to go as a family soul winning. People were like, well, your son's too young to go soul winning. I said, yeah, right, okay. That's why we don't see Samuel's called anymore. That's why we don't see David's being used anymore. That's why we don't see Joseph's anymore. Because we sissify them and we say, you know what, they got, you know, this dawned on me. I was studying uh, Brother Nick this year uh, for the teens out there. And it dawned on me that in the Bible, there was two categories of men. There was children and then there was men. At the age of 12, they went from being a child to a young man. We created teenagers. And what are teenagers classified anymore as? This is an age group where, Daisy, you just go out and do whatever you want during those years. Don't listen to that. This is, I'm kidding about that. But here's what, we, here's what we do now. We allow our teenagers to be stupid and have no responsibilities from the time they're 12 to they're 18 And then they have to spend the next 20 years of their life trying to fix what they messed up in teenage years. There's no such thing as that. That's hogwash. During the teenage years is when we ought to be training our children to go in the direction to love God, to have a relationship with God, to spend time with God. What direction is your home going, sir? What direction is your home going, ma'am? Are you teaching your young ladies to be ladies? Are you teaching them to love God, to reverence their... You know what? It would be good for some moms to teach their, their daughters to reverence and to have respect for their daddies so when they get married someday... Listen... Your daughters are going to treat their husbands the way they see mom treating daddy. What direction are we going in our homes? Young person here today, what direction are you going? What is your goal for down the road? Where do you see yourself 5, 10, 15 years down the road? We, we have direction in our home anymore and we skip out on uh, prayer time and family devotions. Listen, hey, uh, this morning... I sat down to read Proverbs. I sat my son right on my lap, and we read Proverbs together. There's nothing wrong with that. You know what I want him to know, Brother Nick? I want him to know that in the morning, Daddy reads his Bible. I want him to know in the morning, Daddy gets on his knees and prays. I want him to know that God is my first priority. You know what? If God is the direction you're going, then wherever God directs you is where you will go. 
But, but too often we have our own priorities. We have our own goals. We want to go our own direction. This is what we want for our house. This is what we want for our families. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. What plans do we have for the future do, uh, and do we make? Are they good things or are they God's things? What direction is your home going? The direction of the home is filled, if it is filled with uh, God's things, or is it just too busy with good things? We see this so often that we see uh, our homes and our, uh, it just seems like there's, there's no strength to that home. Before we involve ourselves in things, we need to make sure it does not contradict God's word. <clears throat> the good things in the home should not contradict God's word or what he says. When we do, we are going the wrong direction. Is the direction of the home going where God wants you to? To be for his will for your life. Remember, thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And so often we, we see it today that uh, our jobs and our lives are so consumed with so many things. And it just seems like uh, we're so busy and we're so cumbered about with so many things. And we're just going from place to place and everything. We, we have more technology and it's easier to do things. Listen. To me, shopping should never be done at Walmart. Just get your phone out, scroll through Amazon, and hit add to cart, begin checkout, continue, next, done. Two days, it's at your house. You have no excuse to spend hours at Walmart anymore. None. The men ought to all be saying amen. You know, the great thing about Walmart, though, now is you can go online and pull in, and they bring it out and put it in your car. Amen right there, brother. Stay away from that place. Although I'd rather go to Walmart than I would to some other of these places. You know? Like the knick-knack little store, you know, for the home, all that stuff. TJ Maxx and Ross, Kohl's. Yeah, they are days where my wife goes by herself. <laughs> they don't have that online buying stuff like that. Thirdly, do we choose good things for our children or God's things for the children? I... I just want to take a scripture verse. I want to draw something out of it. I know where the scripture verse is going, but I want you to listen. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. I understand where God's going with this portion of scripture, but I want to ask you something. What do you dream for your children? What do you envision for your home? This goes back to good activities, good direction in the home, God's direction in the home, God's activities in the home. This all goes back to that. But here's the thing. This summer, while Jason and I walked around soul winning, it made me think about visualizing where will he be in 10 years. What would I, I, would, I can't wait to the day that he leads somebody to Christ. Yeah. That maybe God calls him to preach. Listen, here, here's what I want you to understand is. When we don't have God's activities in our home, 
And when we don't have God's direction in our home, we're, we are doing nothing but hurting our entire family. Let me ask you this. What if God wanted you to be in church on Sunday night? You, you chose to stay home and w- watch Super Bowl football. And there was something that night that was going to be preached that your child was going to hear that was finally going to prick their heart for salvation. Maybe there was going to be a message preached that night that your son was going to hear that was going to call him to preach. And you stayed home to watch a stupid football game. I mean, you got to think about it. They, they walk around slapping themselves on the backside. There's something wrong there. Yeah. I say, it's fun to watch them hit. I like some of the hits. They took the fun hits out, though. The ones when the guys were running and they were catching the ball and the guy come this way and hit them and knocked them out. That was good football. They might as well put flags on their side. Hockey's real sports. I mean, they get a 100-mile-per-hour puck in the face. They go back, they get stitched up. They've got a thing on their jaw because it's broke. They come back out and play the third period. That's real sport. <laughs> These guys, millions of dollars, they stub their pinky toe. They sit out for a month. Come on. You're not tough. I would rather fight a 300-pound football player than I ever would a 180-pound uh, hockey player. Any day of the week, he don't have any teeth. <laughs> He doesn't care if they get knocked back out. <laughs> but seriously, what, 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 what do you dream for your kids? You know what I see today, uh, Pastor Dan, is this. I see dad and mom trying to live out through their children what they didn't live out. They try to live out Little League and baseball because they never succeeded. They never went to the majors, and that's their emphasis. Why do you think you see uh, little five- and six-year-olds in 100-mile-per-hour go-karts? Because daddy never made it to the upper end of NASCAR, but he wants Junior to make it. Listen, I want my son to have fun, but I'm not putting him in a 100-mile-per-hour go-kart at five years old. He has no sense to him now. He jumps off stuff like five steps up. Listen, I was there, Nick. I, when I was his age, I wrote, my parents bought me one of them little pedal cars and you steer. I rode that thing down 14 steps on Christmas Day and destroyed it. He's not getting a go-kart. There is no way. <laughs> if somebody would have told me I was going to reap what I sowed back when I was his age, I wouldn't have done half the things I did. At least I don't think I would have. But what do we dream for our kids? What do we emphasize? What do we envision our family doing? I mean, is it is seeing them be successful for God? Listen, if God wants them to be a doctor, if that is what God wants them to do, then praise God for that. But don't emphasize secular things. Now listen, having a good job is a good thing. But if being a doctor or a lawyer or a, a whatever is not God's thing for their life, then it's not a good thing. We, why don't we just emphasize on making sure our family's where it needs to be so we can see God do something with them that He would choose to do with them. God may not never use you to preach revivals or to go out across the whole country, he, but He may use your son by you just being faithful to where you were supposed to be, or your daughter. Yeah. Hey, we need strong ladies anymore. There's, listen, 
How many preachers do you know their ministries are wasted because their wife could not be a pastor's wife? She could not be faithful in ministry. She could not live in the way that God wanted her to live. And you know what? Any strong ministry will have a strong wife beside. There's absolutely no way. But when, when, when God brought my wife and I together, He brought us together. He knew what He had done and created. There's absolutely no doubt. And I couldn't do the things that I've done, been able to do in the last 10 years without my wife. There's absolutely no doubt. Because let's face it, there's going to be days that you get down. There's going to be days you get discouraged. And there are going to be those days, Brother Nick, where they remind you what you did it for in the first place. They're the days you tell them to shut up. (laughs) Normally, first, you say, just shut up, woman. But then it dawns on you, guess what? Just saying, what, what, what do you dream? What do you choose? What are those things that you have for your family? And lastly, and I'll be done, do you have good standards in your home or God's standards in your home? And Father, and I want to talk to the fathers here specifically, but fathers, you ought to set the standards in your home. Your standards in your home should be God's standards and not just good standards. They should be. Moms, set the standard for your daughters. Dads, set the standards for the home. That's why it's so important for us as dads to walk with God. That's why it's so important for us as dads to lead our family in God's things, not good things. So many times, this is what I see, Brother Nick, as, as we go around, I see mom leading the, the family in spiritual things and dad leading the family in good things. Dad's the one that takes them to have fun. But mom's the one that enforces. And mom's, it's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be that way. The dress standards in the home, the hair standards in the home, the music standards in the home, Those things should be set by the dad. Those standards ought to be set by the dad according to God's word. Here's the importance. If our standards are in the home according to God's word, they won't change because God doesn't change. Forever, O Lord, is that word settled in heaven. This this word was there in the beginning. This word was created before he created earth. God knew that His Word would be good for then, it'd be good for now, it'd be good for the future. God knows what year it is. But if we have good standards in the home, good standards will change with the sign of the times. Danny's probably used this illustration, everybody else has. If the microphone is the center, you got God's will, you got the world. As the world gets further away, we just seem to maintain that distance from the world and we get over here, but back there's God's will. Back there's God's standard. But see, if we make God's standard the standards of our home, as the world gets further and crazier and further and further away, we'll still be right where God wants us to be in His will. If you think about this, I would have never thought that we would see the day and the time where you could actually be giving birth to a child and you can murder it. And we think it's fine. 
I would have never thought I'd see the day they'd legalize marijuana. I never, I never thought I'd honestly see the day where some nitwit in Virginia is trying to confiscate AR-15s. It, God made that, listen, the Second Amendment is about what God said. God told us to arm ourselves. That's our God-given right. Listen, that church in Texas, if it wouldn't have been for them men in that church, it'd been a lot worse. A lot worse. But if we have God's standards in our home, as the world gets crazier and crazier and crazier and crazier, we'll be able to have that peace. We'll be able to have that understanding. We'll be able to have that happiness that comes from being in the center of God's will. Do we have good standards in the home or God's standards in the home? Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Most of you probably already know it. But listen to what it says. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which uh, your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or, uh, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We need to get to this place in our lives where we set up our homes and we set up our lives. Listen, you know what, dads? The good standards in the home are never going to trickle down through to our wives and to our children unless we have God's standards for our lives. It's not for us just to enforce it's for us to set the example, as, as Pastor Dan was talking about this morning with Timothy and the example that was set ahead of them and how Paul said, he, he talked about we, that, uh, that they had them as examples to live according to. Us as dads ought to set the example of how the home ought to be and how the home ought to be directed and how the home's activities ought to be. You know why? Dad, you ought to be the first one getting ready for soul winning on Saturday. Dad, you ought to be the first one that's up in the morning praying, reading your Bible, getting ready for church on Sunday morning. You ought to be the one that's getting ready uh, for those things that God's things in your home. But it's all going to start by your walk. It's all going to start with the way that you live out these things according to God's Word. You set the example. You, You be the one that shows the right example. It's not leading with an iron hand. But it's leading with love, and it's leading with that admiration of the Lord. We're to love our wives as Christ so loved the church and gave himself for it. But we have a bunch of dodo brain men anymore that they're lazy and won't go to work and give themselves for their family. We need to, that we need to teach our young men to be young men, to work. There's nothing wrong with it. I, my, my son, I cut firewood, he carries it. Well, he's just five. I don't care. He enjoyed it. We had fun. He looked at bugs. There's nothing. Listen, let them, let them pick up bugs. Let them pick up frogs, man. If they want to smash them, let them smash them. Let them be young men. That's good stuff. But we look at it anymore and go, they're savages. No, they're not. They're, they're men. It's the way God made us. But teach them, Dad, to love Mom. Teach them to respect Mom. Teach them to protect Mom. 
You say, why? Because that's how God wanted them to be. Moms, teach your young ladies how to love dad. Teach them that. Teach them that. Teach them to honor their parents. Raise them right. Let's have good, strong homes so we can have a good, strong church. Listen, this kind of church isn't everywhere anymore. I've gone to a lot of churches in the past year, and there's churches that are still preaching. They still believe in this book. They're just not preaching certain things. And that's what we have today. We have that itchy ear church anymore. You know what? Be thankful you got a preacher who gets up in the morning, puts his britches on, and is not afraid to preach what God laid on his heart. Okay? That he's not afraid to preach God's things. Listen. It's good to preach about good things, but we need to preach about God's things. We need to live according to God's things. Let's not be afraid of those things. I asked you four questions tonight. And I want you to ask yourself those things honestly. Do you have good activities in home or God's activities in home? Where, where are you at? What direction is your home going? Is your home going in a good direction or in God's direction? You have to ask yourself those things. Is, is, is the goals, the things that you choose for your family, are they things that would be good things or are they things that you choose that would be God's things? What standards do you have in the home? Are they just good standards or are they God's standards? Good standards in the home where people say, boy, your children, they're just so well behaved. But God's standards make a difference when they're God's standards in the home. This summer, I'm going I'm I'm to end with a story. We moved to Illinois in April. And on May 7th, and you say, I'll, I'll tell you why I know this story about May 7th. On May 7th, my wife and my kids were in Walmart without me. I was at work where I was supposed to be. I make the money, my wife spends it. They always say, a, sex, a successful man is one that can make more money than his wife can spend, and a successful woman is one that can find such a man. <laughs> so, so my wife and my kids are in Walmart. And something that we do, Brother Nick, is we're going to Walmart, and we'll take a stack of tracks, and we're handing them some to the kids, and we take some. And then when we see people, we'll go up and give them one, invite them to church, and tell them, they read over that track. You know, a lot of times in Walmart, you're not going to just be able to sit there and confrontational soul win. But if you can get a gospel track in their hand, you're planting seed. So my daughter goes up to this Walmart guy. He's a worker there at Walmart. She gives him a track, and she invites him to church and tells him if he'll read over that, it will tell him how he can know for sure to go to heaven. And he starts to weep. And my wife told me about it, and they left. And here it is. Let's fast forward to October. I think it was somewhere around the beginning of October. We're at church, and we're doing the handshake, and, and our pastor, Pastor Letson, he comes up, and he goes, Hey, guys, come here, come here, come here. And uh, he goes, I want you to meet Steve. He goes, uh, Alyssa apparently gave Steve a track in Walmart. And he begins to say, and he's, he says, My wife, he goes, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if that was the girl, though, that... I thought she was younger. That's not true. He goes, I, ju- I don't remember her hair being that curly. And I said, well, she straightens her hair normally, but today she was in a hurry and didn't straighten it, you know. But no, I, I said, no, she straightens her hair, and that's pray. He goes, that's pray it then. So after the church service, when the invitation was given, 
God laid it on my heart. He said, go back and talk to Steve about a salvation. So I got up during the invitation, after the invitation, and uh, I, I had come to the altar, prayed for Steve, went back to my seat, and God said, go talk to him. So I go back and I talk to Steve, and I asked him, I said, Steve, if you die, do you know for sure you go to heaven? He goes, yes. He goes, yes, Rex. He goes, I know, I know without a doubt I'm saved. And he goes, let me tell you the story. He goes, on May 7th, it was my last day at work at Walmart. It was within my last hour or two of being done working at Walmart. And he said, when your daughter gave me that track, I was getting ready to leave to go take care of my wife dying of cancer. And he said, they ended up putting her in a home, and he would stay with her and take care of her. And he said, since she had, she had passed away in July, and he said, Rex, I became very bitter with God. I didn't understand why he would do this to us. I had no understanding why. And he said, but when your daughter gave me that track, couldn't understand what God was doing, but I kept it. And he said, just the other day, I was praying and asking God, why would you do this? And when I got up, I saw that track, and God told me I need to get back to church. As far as I know, he's still going. He, at first, he came the first couple Sundays, only Sunday morning. Before you knew it, Brother Nick, he was there Sunday school, Sunday morning. And then he started coming back Sunday nights. Then next thing you know, he started coming on Wednesday nights. Good things or God's things. There's nothing good about going shopping at Walmart. But giving out tracts at Walmart is God's thing. Everybody that we come across, listen, the days are short. If you don't understand that we're living in the days of Noah and God told us, he warned us of this. I don't know about you, but when he returns, I don't want to be caught doing good things, Brother Dan. I want to be caught doing God's things. We shouldn't sit on our hands because you know what? The cashier at Walmart, she's a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. The waiter at the restaurant, waitress at the restaurant, is a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. Now listen, if you're going to leave a tip and leave a track from your church, make sure it's a good tip. Okay? Don't be a cheapskate. That's how those people live. Give them a good tip. Take care of them. But the gospel track is the most important thing that you can give them. It's the most important thing. People around the street, people you work with. Listen, uh, I had worked on a friend of mine 30 years. Him and I lost as a goose. We used to do some of the craziest, stupidest things. And I had witnessed to him over the last 10 years. And a year ago, in 2018, December 28th, I spent an hour and a half giving him the gospel, going over scripture after scripture and just trying to convince him. I left that night and I prayed for him. Prayed for him throughout the year that he'd get saved. Well, when we came back on December, uh, December 27th this year, I was down looking at some work, and I went, I went, ate lunch. When I went to pull out, I looked the direction, 
towards where you'd go to go to his house, which was another 15, 17 miles down the road. And God said to me, reach out to Scott. Prior to this, right before we came back, Scott said this to me. He said, he said, uh, he goes, I said, you get your salvation uh, settled, Scott? He goes, no, no, no. I, I, you know, I just, uh, when, you, when you get back, we'll get that settled. Well, when I pulled out that day, God said, reach out to Scott. So I reached out to Scott. Scott said, yeah, come on down. I had, when I reached out to him, I didn't get a hold of him. I drove about 20 miles home, and he got back to me, and I called him. I turned around and drove 37 miles back to his house. I spent eight hours with him that day. And we talked about stupid things. We talked about people that had died and gone on to heaven. We talked about different things. I talked to him about witnessing to his wife that had died of cancer. I talked to him about my dad and all these things. And it just kept saying, like, every time I had the opportunities to talk to him about his eternal salvation, something would get in his mind and lead us off course. And at 10.15, I'm like, i got to get up. i got to go home. I can't stay in later. I'm going to have to go to sleep. And I, I said to him about his salvation. He said, Rex, he goes, yeah, yeah, well, you know, maybe next time. And I, I, So I just was blunt with him. I said, what is it? Do you not believe? What is it? So on and so forth. And, and I got talking to him, and I explained to him. I said, you know, I was on my way home, and God laid you on my heart. And I said, Scott, I believe in divine appointment. And he asked me about that, and I began to explain to him some of those things about how God brings two things together and lines it up at a divine time, a divine appointment. And I said, if you don't want to talk to me about it, you don't need to. I can have somebody else. And he goes, no, no, I want to talk to you. And I said, well, what do you want to do with that? He goes, let's get it settled right now. And he bowed his head and prayed. And I had a little bit in my mind, did he really get it? And when he lifted his head up, he took his glasses off, he walked around the counter, and he hugged me, shaking, crying, weeping, thanking me. It's not me that saved him. It was just me doing a godly thing instead of a good thing. And it has nothing to do about me. It has all to do about the glory of God, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When he prompts you, do it. And the way you're going to do that is when you put godly things in your home, and not just good things in your home. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear